Hi, need a ride? Hop on in. I'm headed to Julia's Trucking Cafe. Come on, let's go. We made it just in time. Come on, let's go get a seat. Hey everybody, welcome to Julia's Truckin' Cafe. If you hear some banging and clanging, I'm in the great city of West Memphis, Arkansas, sitting in the dock at Americold, uh, getting unloaded. Been here for several hours, but anyway... It last week has been one hell of a week. You know it? Man, oh life. Busy, 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 busy. So welcome to Julia's Truckin' Cafe. How's everybody doing? A uh, happy Monday, as a friend of mine would say. Hope everybody's week is going well so far. I'm glad you all could make it. Thank you for taking the time out of my day. Or excuse me. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to come sit and listen to me banter and getting all confused. Sorry about that. So, without further ado, let's get to the news. A wrong way car driver sends a trucker down an embankment that kills him. Ohio police say that a truck driver lost his life on Wednesday, July 24th in a three-vehicle crash caused by a car driver that was going the wrong way down the interstate. This crash happened just after 4 o'clock in the afternoon around Manchester, Ohio. Troopers say that 59-year-old truck driver Brent Markwell was westbound on U.S. Route 52 when an eastbound Honda Civic driver crossed the center line into Markwell's lane. The semi-truck and Honda collided head-on. The semi-truck was sent crashing into the eastbound lane where it hit a third vehicle, then crashed down an embankment toward the Ohio River. Markwell passed away at the scene after crews tried for hours to rescue him. Four others, including the Honda driver, were taken to the hospital for treatment. U.S. Route 52 was closed until about 6.30 the following morning, Thursday morning, while crews worked to clean up the mess. The crash still remains under investigation. And as always, you could see the video of it, of the report, on, in this article under the show notes where I will have it listed. This next story comes from Transportation Nation. State trooper could face charges after causing a fatal crash that involved a semi. From Clinton County, Michigan, Michigan State Patrol trooper has been suspended and could face criminal charges after a preliminary investigation determined he was at fault in a fatal three-vehicle accident involving a semi-truck. That happened on last Friday, and this was about the 17th of July. On Monday, Michigan State Police announced it had suspended a male trooper that caused a fatal crash at the intersection of Business 127 
and Cutler Road and resulted in the death of 26-year-old David G. Engel of DeWitt. The crash occurred at approximately 8 p.m. I'm sorry, on Friday, July 19th. My bad, I should have read down a little bit. Sorry, I'm just having a... It's a Monday. Sorry, it's a Monday today. This happened uh, Friday, July 19th as a trooper whose identity is being withheld by police was en route to a robbery in progress at a local retail store. Investigators say the trooper was westbound on Cutler Road with the lights and sirens on when he entered the intersection and struck the rear of a semi-truck that was traveling northbound on Business 127. Investigators did not say how fast the trooper was traveling at the time. Of course not. However, the impact of the collision caused the semi-truck to strike Engel's vehicle, which was stopped southbound on Business 127, waiting to turn left onto Cutler Road. Engel was pronounced dead at the scene. It must have hit him pretty doggone hard to kill him. The semi-truck driver did not report any injuries, while the trooper reported only minor injuries. When announcing the suspension of the trooper, the Michigan State Police First Lieutenant Darren Green said police officers are obligated to drive in a way that doesn't endanger themselves or the public even when they are responding to emergencies. Green said Michigan State Police hopes to finish its ongoing investigation in an expeditious manner. Further, he indicated that once Michigan State Police delivers its findings to the Clinton County Prosecutor's Office, criminal charges could be filed. And Transportation Nation will continue to monitor the investigation as well as myself. Now, my op-ed on this article is... There again, if you remember a few episodes back of my podcast, when I uh, reported on traveling south on Interstate 55, and all of a sudden I had two troopers in the left lane on my butt, speeding, going well over 100 miles an hour, all to turn, and they were did not have their sirens or lights on, all to turn in the turnout of the interstate. How dangerous is that to just stop and then watch the northbound traffic? Brilliant. Just just real brilliant. And in other news, four 18-wheelers involved in a fatal crash had backups for more than 14 miles. In Louisiana, the state police say that a semi-truck driver lost his life on Thursday, July 25th in a crash involving four trucks that occurred on I-10. The crash happened around 8 o'clock in the morning on westbound I-10 at mile marker 140 east of Gross Tay, Louisiana. Local news station reports that two truck drivers pulled off of the interstate to exchange information after being involved in a minor fender bender between themselves. While these drivers were out of their cabs talking, they were hit by a third and then a fourth semi-truck. One of the truck drivers involved in the initial fender bender, 82-year-old Texas resident Robert McCarty, died. The other truck drivers suffered minor injuries. Traffic backups of more than 14 miles were reported in the area, and they were on the shoulder of the road. So how, you know, they swerved to, that hit them? I mean, 
who knows? Who the heck knows what happened? So there, and I'm sorry to say it, but this chunk of news involving last week and and the end of July, there uh, some more drivers are dying. I mean, this is within a week. They had three and four drivers dying. Another story. Trooper, or excuse me, trucker loses his life while helping a stranded motorist. A semi-truck driver trying to lend a hand to a stranded motorist was struck by another vehicle and killed in Texas. And this happened July 29th. It happened around 1230 in the afternoon on westbound I-30 in Dallas. Police say that 42-year-old truck driver Ryan Douglas Jacques came upon a white SUV that was disabled in the left lane of the interstate and parked in front of the SUV to try to protect him from interstate traffic. I'm thinking parked behind him. Douglas Jacques then got out of his truck to try to help the stranded SUV driver. While he was out of the truck, a third driver traveling west on I-30 struck the SUV, which then struck Douglas Jacques and his and him and a semi-truck. Mr. Jacques was transported to the hospital but later passed away as a result of his injuries. So if he was going that does that make sense? Hmm, I'm trying to re re reread it, see if that makes sense. He's going westbound, so I'm trying to picture this in my head. If he's going westbound, and correct me and please leave a comment uh to help me clarify this. Uh, I'm having problems with my allergies this morning. He's going the SUV's going westbound. He's in the left lane. Jacques parked his rig in front of the SUV to try to get him out of the left lane and another driver traveling west on I-30 struck the SUV which then struck Jacques' truck him and his semi. Two people in the third vehicle were also taken to the hospital. The incident remains under investigation. The Dallas County Sheriff's Office says that they do not plan to file charges against the motorist who struck Jacques. I'm like, really? So, I just can't picture how that happened. So, if you could help me out on that and some clarification in the comments, either on Facebook or on the website, scroll down and you could always leave a comment on the bottom of the description of the show or on YouTube. That's fine. It would be greatly appreciated. This episode of Julia's Truck and Cafe is brought to you by My Patriot Supply. As truck drivers, we all know what it's like to be at a shipper's or receiver's like I am today over, you know, four and five hours and have to wait to be loaded or unloaded for hours on end. Am I right? Don't we we all go through this? There's only a few of us out here that get loaded in 30 minutes to an hour or unloaded. And this especially happens at produce coolers and at paper mills or also grocery warehouses. That's why you need to be prepared with extra food in your truck. My Patriot Supply helps you stay prepared. Now, it's not what you're thinking. My Patriot Supply is delicious emergency food. Comes in a plastic tote with Ziploc bags. You don't have to use the whole portion. You don't have to use the whole bag at one sitting. They have food. Their food kits are good up to 25 years. And they also have food that's gluten-free. It comes in a a nice slimline plastic tote that you can moisture-resistant that you could store in underneath your bunk or in your pantry at home. I could speak from experience. After living through Hurricane Katrina in my mobile home, we were without power for 10 days, my mother, my son, and I. 
If it weren't for the MREs that were flown into us, we wouldn't have had any food. At that time, four 60-foot pine trees broke in half during the storm and landed across my driveway, landlocking us in. So I couldn't get out and get out of the house or even the yard to go get some food. And just recently, my brother and sister-in-law went through a devastating tornado that ravaged Wisconsin. There was 15 tornadoes a few weeks back. Our family farm is completely obliterated all but the house. They were without power for a week. That's when my Patriot Supply emergency food would have come in handy. If I knew then what I know now about my Patriot Supply, i definitely have some of this food stockpiled in my pantry. And I've ordered the ammo can. I will let you know when it comes in and how it tastes. I'll also be doing a video on that as well. What it looks like, what all you get in it. For $39, they have a week's supply of food. Gluten-free food is $100. Now for a limited time, you can get a one-week supply. Like I said, for $39 comes an ammo can, plastic ammo can. And uh, just go to, in order to, to get yours, just go to my website at juliastruckatcafe.com. That's julia's truckingcafe.com when you once you're there you click on the emergency food supply tab and you scroll down click on any of the images you'll find out more information there is a whole week supply or month supply uh, and fruits and veggies and meat you insure your car and you buy health insurance you even buy vision and dental insurance now why not buy food insurance Stay prepared for anything that happens with my Patriot Supply. So back to the news. Fines for violating trucking regulations are going up. The FMCSA is talking about increasing fines for violating trucking regulations. Effective on July 31st, the FMCSA will increase the amount that truckers must pay for violating regs. The fine increase is due to the Federal Civil Penalties Inflation Adjustment Act of 2015, which requires that federal agencies increase fines each year to account for inflation. That's okay. You don't have to do that. You can see the fine increase amounts in this table below listed in this article. And um, it is all USC codes from what I'm seeing. Um, you can just scroll down. I'll let you uh, look at this yourself. There's quite, it's quite a list. I don't have time to go through them all right now because we would be here for hours. In other news, the FMCSA debuts a permanent crash preventability determination program. Well, that's a mouthful. On July 31st, the FMCSA announced that the agency plans to make the transition to a long-term crash preventability determination program in order to, quote, gain additional data to recognize possible safety risks on our nation's roads, end quote. Aren't they doing that already? They, you know, they have more studies out and it just seems like they're not doing anything with the data. I don't know. Am I wrong? Let me know. Let me know in the comments. The new crash preventability determination program, boy, is that a mouthful, would be the permanent implementation of a two-year program that started in August of 2017. The program allowed carriers to request a review of the crash if the carrier believed that the crash was unavoidable. 
Part of the purpose of the program was to help the FMCSA to a better identify high-risk motor carriers. Now, there's a list of eight things that there you can go through and uh, review for yourself about the CMV. And there again, this article will be in the show notes, and I have a link to the show notes in the description below the little audio link when you come and visit the website. And also look under show notes for this episode and the title of the episode. Like I said, just click on the link. It'll take you right there. And it, back to the article. The FMCSA reported, quote, strong participation in the program from motor carriers, end quote, and said that they reviewed more than 5,600 crashes since August 2017. Of those crashes, quote, approximately 94% have been found to be not preventable by the motor carrier or commercial driver, end quote, the agency reports. The FMCSA is also proposing the removal of non-preventable crashes from the Safety Measurement System Crash Indicator Basic, oops, excuse me, let me try that again, the Safety Measurement System Crash Indicator Behavior Analysis Safety Improvement Category. Whew. In other words, basic of your CSA and expanding the types of crashes that can be evaluated from 8 to 15. Quote, data drives our agency's decisions, and the information we've received and analyzed during the demonstration project informed our action today to expand and improve the crash preventability program, end quote, said FMCSA Administrator Raymond P. Martinez. I'm sorry, I don't like the guy. Quote, we've listened to carriers, drivers, and other commercial motor vehicle stakeholders throughout each step of this process and strongly encourage all interested parties to submit comments on our proposed changes. End quote. See what I mean? They're wanting some more comments. What are we doing with it? Putting some more regulations into place. Let's regulate us to death. But anyway, and in other news, a semi crosses the median and plows into a church van in a new video released by investigators. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. A lot of accidents, people. A lot of accidents. Federal investigators have released a new dash cam footage of the moments leading up to a fatal semi truck crash involving a church van that happened earlier this year. On July 31st, uh, CBS This Morning shared dash cam video that is part of a National Transportation Safety Board investigation into a crash that left seven people dead in January of this year. The crash happened on January 3rd on I-75 near Gainesville, Florida. When a semi-truck crossed the median and struck multiple vehicles, including a church van headed to Disney World, five children and two adults, including truck driver Steve Holland, lost their lives in the violent crash. Holland was driving for Eagle Express Lines at the time of the crash. The company says that they believe that Holland suffered from a medical emergency. Heart attack, something. Quote, we lost a life in this tragedy as well. Mr. Holland was an excellent driver and had driven this same route hundreds of times. He is deeply missed by his friends and family. It appears that he suffered a sudden medical emergency that rendered him unconscious, thus leading to the accident, end quote, said Eagle Express Lines General Counsel Aaron Gunderson. 
NTSB investigators are using the dash cam video as well as other evidence to try to determine what caused the crash, but they have yet to provide comment on this cause. Crash survivors have filed suit claiming negligence and wrongful death. If you want to see the video of the dash cam, there again, it'll be in this article that'll be in the show notes. In other news, a tractor trailer toppled over on the Bay Bridge. Now there's two different Bay Bridges. There's a Bay Bridge going across a little inlet in Maryland, and then there's the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel. This is the Bay Bridge, I believe, in Maryland. Yeah, Annapolis, Maryland. I've been on that bridge. A truck driver was able to walk away from a terrifying crash after his vehicle rolled over on the Bay Bridge on the end of January. The incident was reported around 7.30 at night on eastbound Bay Bridge in Annapolis, Maryland. Thunderstorms and high wind gusts were reported in the area on Wednesday and are thought to have tipped over the truck, leaving the trailer precariously perched on the bridge railing. Well, you think? The truck driver was able to get out of the truck after firefighters removed the windshield. Dude, just kick the fucker out. But I wouldn't be able to either. Excuse my language. He wasn't seriously hurt. The incident resulted in major serious traffic delays for hours as crews worked to remove the truck. Miles-long backups were reported. Of course, it's still under investigation as of August 1st. Now, in other news, the young man that killed those seven motorcyclists up in New Hampshire reported uh, reportedly was on drugs and was reaching for a drink. What did I tell you? When I reported on that, I said he was probably hopped up on something. A new federal report says that a truck that a driver accused of causing a crash that claimed the lives of seven members of a motorcycle club in Randolph, New Hampshire, which is the Jarheads Motorcycle Club in June, was under the influence of drugs and distracted by a drink. According to FMCSA report obtained by Boston Globe, 23-year-old Valdemir Zufkowski tested positive for an, quote, unspecified narcotic or amphetamine drug that made him incapable of driving safely, yet he was still freaking doing it. The report also states that Zulkowski admitted to investigators that he was reaching for a drink the moment that he swerved his pickup truck towing a trailer and crashed into 10 members of the Jarheads Motorcycle Club, killing seven of them. Zukowski was driving for the now-closed Massachusetts-based company Westfield Transport at the time of the crash, and because they were going to be investigated, they closed the company. Zukowski has a history of substance abuse violations, and there again, to refresh your memory, he was arrested for possession of drug paraphernalia in February 11th of 2019 when police discovered a crack pipe on his person while he was talking to himself and acting strange at a Denny's restaurant in Texas. He was also arrested for operating under the influence in May of 2019 in Connecticut after police were called at a Walmart parking lot for reports of somebody revving a truck engine and jumping around in the lot. Zukowski is facing seven charges of negligent homicide. He is pled not guilty to all charges. Of course. That's what the heck they do. Unbelievable. So, in other news, FMCSA misses projected publication date for, quote, new flexible hours of rules of service. 
again. Um, do you think the government's going to be on time for anything? The FMCSA has once again failed to meet the projected publication date set for the agency to debut their highly anticipated changes to truck driver hours of service regulations. Oh, they love to regulate us, but to change stuff, boy, it takes them forever. Regulatory reports from the um, Department of Transportation listed July 31st as the date when the FMCSA was expected to publish a notice of proposed rulemaking, or otherwise known as a NPRM, for changes to hours of service rules. That date has come and gone with no news from the FMCSA. Previously, FMCSA had projected that they'd be publishing the NPRM on June 7th, but they obviously failed to meet that deadline as well. So, what's the holdup? I'm asking the same question. The FMCSA has been at work on new hours of service regulations since August of 2018, when it published an advanced notice of proposed rulemaking and asked for public comment again on several aspects of the HOS reform. The FMCSA received more than 5,200 comments, many of them coming from truck drivers. Good job, guys, asking for relief from the strict regulations that they say could force them to drive while fatigued. Since then, the FMCSA has indicated that they are very close to being ready to publish the NPRM, and they have promised industry stakeholders that the new rules will give drivers increased, quote, flexibility, leading some to speculate that the mandatory 30-minute break rule would be eliminated or that the 14-hour rule will return to something like the pre-2003 version that would give drivers the ability to, quote, stop the on-duty clock, end quote. Yes, that's our vernacular. However, the NPRM must be approved by the White House's Office of Management and Budget before it can be published. The truck report that the Trump administration is delaying the publication of the NPRM because they are looking to make the regulation changes more business-friendly, quote-unquote. No new date has been set for the publication of the Hours of Service NPRM. Once the NPRM is finally published, the FMCSA will once again accept public comment before publishing a final rule. See? Some more public comment, which they're not going to do nothing about. You know, and just delay, delay, delay. We're getting sick and tired of the delays, people. Ugh, lots and lots of news to get to. So, now a truck with no front tires leads cops on a wild chase. In this video that'll be in the show notes. This happened early Friday morning in Alabama. And this was published on August 2nd. A truck driver's in custody after leading Alabama police on a four-hour county pursuit early Friday morning. The pursuit reportedly began just after midnight in Randolph County, Alabama, when police attempted to make a traffic stop. The truck driver sped off and the, pursu and the pursuit began, leading police through Chambers County into Lee County and finally into Russell County. Police attempted to stop the truck with spike strips at some point during the pursuit, but the truck driver continued the pursuit for several miles without front tires. The crash finally ended when the truck crashed into the median in Russell County. The truck driver resisted arrest and had to be tased by police. Don't ever do that, people. Just, you know, if you're in the wrong, you're fucking in the wrong. 
You can check out part of the pursuit in the video at the bottom of the article. Information on identity of the truck driver and charges he might face has not yet been released. I will be checking up on that. Yeah, if, if you're mad, you're pissed off or whatever, just don't resist arrest because you're just putting yourself into a hole. Now, you'll love this story. Get this one. The two biggest companies, a couple of the two biggest companies out here, CRST and Swift are fighting over drivers. Okay? I'm like, really? It's it's kind of it's laughable. CRST has sued Swift over poaching drivers from them. And not only did they sue them, but they won a $15.5 million lawsuit. Are they going to give their drivers a raise with that? Probably not. I'm just saying. Just speculation. That's only my opinion. Two of the nation's largest trucking companies went to court over claims of driver poaching. And one of them came away with millions of dollars richer. On July 23rd, an Iowa court ruled in favor of Cedar Rapids-based trucking company CRST expedited in a lawsuit filed against Swift in March of 2017. Two years it took them to settle this lawsuit. In the lawsuit, CRST argued that Swift was actively recruiting drivers who had gone through CRST's CDL training program in exchange for the drivers agreeing not to work for another company for a 10-month period after they completed their training. Remember I told you episodes ago last summer that if you're going to find a company that go through their training program, they will pay you to do that, but you have to stay with them a minimum of a year or two? This is what I'm talking about right here. CRST says that Swift poached at least 250 drivers who had signed a 10-month non-compete contract from their company. The suit says that since 2016, CRST received 150 employment verifications from Swift for drivers still under the 10-month contract and that each time they responded to Swift to let them know that the driver was under, quote, contractual commitment to CRST, end quote. CRST's legal team argued that the driver poaching scheme gave Swift an unfair economic advantage given the time and financial resources that went into training the drivers. So in other words, CRST would train them. They would sign that 10-month clause, you know, that, yeah, I'll work for you for 10 months to pay you back for my training. And then Swift swooped in and go, hey, you're trained now. You got a CDL. Come over here. We'll come and work for us because we ain't got to worry about training you. Uh, the jury agreed that Swift's actions were, quote, intentional and improper and awarded CRST a total of $15.5 million. It isn't clear whether Swift intends to appeal the ruling, which you know they're going to. All right. In other news. Truckers tell all about the companies that they actually treat them right. So let's go through this and see what other drivers have to say. There has to be some good trucking companies out there, right? A group of truckers recently came together on free CDL Life app to talk about the positive experiences that they've had with companies they've worked for. And we're so happy to see how many people had good things to report about trucking companies that treat their drivers right, both large and small. It all started with a simple question. You always hear about the bad companies. I want to hear about the good ones. Who out there likes their company and what do you like about them? What company would you recommend? 
More than 100 drivers chimed in to talk about trucking companies that they love. Here's what they had to say. Billy writes, I drive for Black Horse Carriers. Great place to work. Just delivered Aldi grocery stores. Home every day. Four or five day work schedule and can easily make $100,000 a year. Yeah, okay, Billy. Anyway, David says, Abilene Motor Express, based in Richmond, Virginia, family-owned company, and treat their drivers like family. I drive over the road, and they always get me home when I want off or if something happens, and I need to get by the house. They do their best to route me that way. Easy going, no forced dispatch. They have local and regional routes also, mostly drop and hook. Jim writes, I've been with Prime for 19 years. I love it. I've never had a company treat me better, work with me through family emergencies, better or give me better opportunities for cash flow. Tony says, Hurricane Express, five out of six out on the road and come home for a 34-hour reset. Great equipment and nice setup for your comfort. Great mic... Uh, great microwave refrigerator cabinets and smart TVs. 3,000-watt inverter tri-pack evolution generator um 18 speed eat and transmission great pay nice people and cool trucks that are custom painted um conventional super singles and bendix system forward facing and driver facing camera uh, i'm not gonna go over there that's my personal opinion i'm not gonna drive somebody with a driver facing rear facing camera robert says i have worked for big freight systems inc for over 22 years they are a great company to work for Raymond says, Ashley Distribution, I've been here almost four years and I will retire here. If you don't mind working hard, LTL drivers deliver furniture to stores, not Ashley Home Stores. While we do handle freight, we only do tailgate delivery, which is just pushing furniture to the rear of the trailer. The minimum salaries that you are see posted online are accurate. Trucks are no older than three or four years old and I've only got 81,000 on a 2019 Volvo. I'm not a recruiter. I just love working for this company. That's a rare thing to say in this business. LTL drivers are back home on Fridays and even though most of us have sleepers, I am back home anywhere from one night a week to four nights a week. There are local day cab jobs also, but the pay is a little less. One other thing, don't get the PTP driver pay confused with LTL. I'm out of Pennsylvania, but the minimum I've seen for LTL is $82,000 annually. William writes, TMC, been here since October 2012. Plan on staying till I can't go anymore. You run like an owner-op, make as much or as little as you want, or your experience level lets you write from the start. And they really are your family is first company. Ken writes, Red Classics is a great company. They have owner operators, local company drivers, and they just started a company over the road. Brand new trucks. They treat their drivers good. So there's just a few of the companies that they talked about as far as drivers being happy with where they're working. Now, another story that you're going to love. A truck driver pleads guilty to stealing a truckload of rat traps. Do you think they're gonna? he's going to pass them out to the Democrats? I didn't say that, did I? Authorities in Illinois say that a truck driver has been convicted on felony charges after stealing a load of rat traps that he was contracted to deliver. 
On Tuesday, July 30th, 31-year-old truck driver Andrew Schwartz was found guilty of felony charges of theft and forgery, according to a news release. Prosecutors say that on September 29, 2017, there again, almost two years to get him convicted, Schwartz, a contract driver for J.B. Hunt, picked up a load of rat traps from a business in Elgin with instructions to deliver the load to a location in Ohio. Rather than deliver the rat traps to the Ohio location, authorities say that Schwartz instead dropped off the load at a home of a friend in Wakanda, Illinois. Meanwhile, Schwartz told JB that the rat traps made it to their destination in Ohio. Well, you idiot! They're going to track you on your doggone truck satellite. They're going to know that the doggone trailer didn't make it there, you nimrod. The rat traps were valued at $27,616. Cheap freight. I didn't say that today. Prosecutors say that Schwartz faces, quote, a sentence of probation or between 6 and 30 years imprisonment in the Illinois Department of Corrections. Schwartz is subject to enhanced sentencing guidelines because of a previous criminal history, authorities say. Schwartz remains free on $5,000 bond. He is scheduled for sentencing on September 1st, 2019. Oh boy, I'm sorry, but what a blooming idiot. <sighs> okay, final story out of all this. <laughs> final story. Prosecutors dropped charges against hemp haulers who say they were tricked into trafficking marijuana. Authorities say that four men were intentionally tricked into hauling marijuana. Oklahoma authorities have dropped charges against four men who say they were intentionally tricked into hauling illegal marijuana when they thought that they were hauling industrial hemp. The Osage County DA's office has dropped drug trafficking charges against Farrell Warsam, uh, I can't, Mr. Dinks, Andrew Ross, David Dirksen, according to local news. The charges came after a semi-truck and a minivan were pulled over by police in Pawhuska, Oklahoma, after they were spotted running a red light back in January. Police said that they smelled a suspicious odor during the traffic stop, and after searching the semi-truck, they discovered at least 18,000 pounds of substance that they said was marijuana. The truck driver and his co-driver told police that they were hauling industrial hemp from Kentucky to Colorado. They also explained that the men in the minivan, Ross and Dixon, were employed by Patriot Shield Security and acted as security for the truck. Field tests performed on the subject reportedly came back positive for marijuana and all four men were arrested. All four men later pled not guilty to trafficking charges. Prosecutors dropped charges against the truck drivers back in March and now say that they have decided to drop the charges against the security guards even though some of the load turned out to be illegal marijuana because they are convinced that the four men really believe that they were hauling hemp. Quote, during the course of the subsequent investigation, it became the state's belief that the drivers of the truck were unaware of the contents of the shipment that they were transporting and the charges against them were dismissed. Since that time, additional evidence has come to light to indicate that security guards as well were duped by the seller into participating in the illegal shipment of 4,326 pounds of marijuana. As a result, the state will be dismissing the charges against both security guards in the interests of justice. Plus, they're probably going to snitch on who was selling it. 
The Kentucky company that sold the hemp marijuana products now facing a federal lawsuit from the Colorado buyer. There you go. So see, don't get talked into hauling the green wacky tobacco stuff um, just because you think it's legal from state to state because if, if federally it's not legal. Only the states are legalizing it. You can't go across state lines with marijuana, wacky, what I call wacky tobacco, and it be legal. No, no way on God's green earth. It's a felony as soon as you cross state lines. So, I greatly, greatly appreciate all of you who tune in every week to listen to me banter, stumble over my words, and, uh, and not have a good day. <laughs> If you are new to the cafe and you'd like to check us out at the bottom of every podcast episode on the website at juliastruckatcafe.com, there are links that I have listed on where you can find me, like iHeartRadio, hey, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Apple Podcast, and many more. Don't forget, like us on Facebook. If you're not a Facebook follower, hey, like the YouTube channel. And don't forget to join our discussion group at Julia's Truck at Cafe Regulars. On the website, I share recipes, videos, don't check out the cafe store, and the page, don't forget to, the page of stupid stuff that drivers do. Please, I would humbly ask you subscribe to our email list, and I'll send you the show notes, the articles that I discuss every week, right to your inbox. This way, you don't got to keep coming back and trying to search for them on the website. To view the articles and, and that I reference in every show. In the future, if I have new things coming out and you're on the email list, you'll get priority in finding out what that surprise is. Before I forget, please feel free to leave a comment on the bottom of every episode. Just scroll down and it'll have a place to leave comments. Also leave comments on the Facebook page at Julia's Truck and Cafe. I read each and every one. If you have an idea for an upcoming show, please feel free to email me. My email is info at juliastruckatcafe.com. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. And as always, keep the shiny side up. In inclement weather, raining, and you have to use your wipers, please turn on your headlights. Don't forget to use your turn signals. They put that turn signal little arm switchy underneath the steering wheel there for a reason. You know, up is uh, right, down is left turn signal. Let's please use them all because you know what? Other drivers are not mind readers. We don't know what you're going to do. We can't, you can't project what you're going to do when you're changing lanes or swerving over. Especially truck drivers, use your doggone turn signals. And in closing, I hope you all have a safe week and keep the shiny side up. Come on, join our convoy. Ain't nothing gonna get in our way. We go.